Last One to the Party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. Welcome to this episode of Last One to the Party. This time around, we're talking about two movies. We've done it a couple of times before. We're doing it again. These two movies aren't necessarily classics that are on the verge of being lost, but they're uh, maybe cult movies that I think are worth knowing about. Certainly, I have a lot of familiarity with one of them. Uh, we're talking about Watermelon Man, and we're talking about Putney Swope, two movies from the early, early 70s, late 60s. One is made in 69, the other one was made in 1970. And they both have kind of a similar overarching topic. And Jess had seen Watermelon Man and was stunned that I hadn't seen it yet. It's in my wheelhouse of movies that I'd be interested in. And then we got to talking and she had never seen Putney Swope. I knew that a close friend of mine had seen both of these and would be a good guest for this episode. So I called up Highland Harris. I've known Highland since probably 1986, so a long time. And Highland is a, a great drummer, musician. He's also a manager at the Louis Armstrong House in Queens, New York. And he's also a master teacher at Chu Tai Chi in New York. So he's a man of many talents. He's never at a loss for a well-defended, well-thought-out opinion on things. He's well-versed in a lot of topics, so he's a perfect guest for this podcast. He's always full of surprises. I had a surprise for him. I got a bone to pick with you, man. You never told me about this movie called Hotties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was like some Anthony Michael Hall movie I didn't know about. No. Oh, no. God damn. Hotties. Shit. So we hope you enjoy this episode on Watermelon Man and Putney Swope. I guess let's start with Watermelon Man. Jess and I watched Watermelon Man before Putney Swope. And even though it came out a year later, let's start with that one. When was the first time you saw it? For I guess for both of you, when was the first time you saw it? What was your experience of that? Uh, Jess, you go first. Oh, okay. Um, I saw it when I first moved to New York. And I worked at HMV, and one of my coworkers, who I, I mean, I loved, I met these two ladies, and I loved them. And one of them was, we were like, we'd go hang at their house, and she was like, let's watch this movie. And so I was like, all right. I'd never seen it. I mean, listen, I grew up, you know, I feel like this is, everyone knows the story, so uh, boring. With just so many white people that no one would ever even know what this movie is. And so my friend, Kimberly Butler, a black woman was like, let's watch this movie. It's great. And we watched it. And I was like, this is really funny. And it was more than that. It was just a fun experience for all of us in the room. And I was like, I don't know. My eyes were open. This is new. It's funny. I mean, immediately I got that they flipped it. I like that he starts off, like you said, I, you know, he's not meant to ruin the movie, but whatever. I mean, it's old. If you haven't seen it, just see it. It's not going to really ruin it. He starts yeah. off, right? Like he thinks <laughs> it's he's not white. a surprise. It's not a surprise. And they put him in white face and all these things. And then, one day he wakes up and he's a black man. And then it's the movie takes off after that. But I enjoyed it and I'd never seen anything like it before. So that was like right out of college. Okay. Which HMV did you work at? I worked at the one on fifth Avenue and like, what was it? 40 something. Damn. 
Yeah. It was huge. It had an upstairs and a downstairs. I worked in the show tunes section, so I might have seen you. <laughs> I saw it in high school. I'm pretty sure I saw it in high school when I saw it. And uh, I must have been a freshman in high school, maybe, like on videotape. You know, remember? Yep. Renting the videotape. And, and, uh, you know, and I loved, I always loved Godfrey Cambridge. Like he was always like this dude that was like, oh, there's that guy, you know? But I knew him from Cotton Comes to Harlem and then uh, in Come Back Charleston Blue and Friday Foster, a movie he almost steals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> almost steals. But uh, <laughs> like I said, when I, when I rented, I had, judging by the cover, I didn't know. I had, I had no idea what it was about. Like zero. If, if I remember correctly, the, the like half his face was black and half his face was white. You couldn't tell by the way the videotape looked what it was going to be about. You just saw the name and it was like this weird. I didn't know it was him. And then when I watched the movie, I was like, "What the hell is?" Because he was wearing like that that plastic workout suit and everything. I'm yeah. Like, what the- yeah. That was going on, you know, and then like I was just like completely engrossed in it. It was just like, holy shit, what's going to happen next, man? And, you know, it, it kind of has that like. Uh, remember Love American style, like that yes. kind of look to it. Yeah, I don't know if it's the film stock or if it's style or if it's both, but you're right. It has that sort of overly saturated colors or something, maybe. Yeah. I just remember just like that. It brought me back to like, there used to be this, the four thirty movie, like that thing. And uh, I used to watch this stuff like after school and it reminded me of that when I was like younger. And uh, when I saw it, it was, I'm going to say that the, the videotape was edited because when I saw it later, there was like some nudity and stuff in it. It wasn't on the videotape when I saw it originally. Yeah. That happened to me when I saw from Blockbuster Godfather 2 for the first time. I got the one that where they edited it all chronologically. Yeah. So it all went from like when he goes back, when Vito goes back to Italy. And then the second half was all the Michael stuff. And it's such a bad movie. It's amazing how I, that sounds dumb. Obviously, editing is very important. It just shows how important it is. But I guess they were just editing out, I guess, the bad bad parts yeah right i mean i mean but the topic was kind of cool like when you're young and then you know whatever when you get older i rented it multiple times and then i bought the dvd i still have the dvd and i've watched that thing dozens dozens of times dozens i can't even i lost count how many times i've watched it. i've loaned it to people and i'm like check this out and they're like what and i'm like just look at it man <laughs> and i remember being a kid, you know, because they'd show you like the the movies at school, like after you see Roots or something, you see like the movie, and one of them was like Black Like Me, where it's like, uh, you ever see that? It's it's not good, you know. And uh, I thought it's gonna be just like a flip of that. It's like, oh, and he's gonna see how, oh, he's gonna see how bad life is gonna be when he's a, a black guy, but like, you know, it it comes clear like right away that, oh. This is like a white dude who's a complete asshole. Like he makes Archie Bunker look like 
whatever, you know. I want to ask you about the movie itself because there's things in there that I that caught me off guard, I guess. Yeah. And they're mostly like stylistic movie making things. Towards the end, the last third of it, there's suddenly this silent movie slides that come up that describe things as a way of condensing the story, sort of. Oh, you're talking about at the at the very end, like when he's when he's black? Yeah, he's black and he he's quitting and they're throwing him out of the office or something and it just like stops and the music gets really loud and it's like piano. And oh, just right, slide. right. You right. know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So stuff like that just threw me off like, oh, this movie is kind of a little wild, like loose, like what is happening? I mean, well, well, Van Peebles made that, right? Yes. And he made that before he made Sweet, Sweet Back. And I think the money that he used for Watermelon Man, or like the, the momentum that he had, he took it forward. So you really see that kind of played out later. Because he, I think he was just the kind of director who was just throwing things to the wall and seeing what would stick. And, and uh, he kind of had an experimental side to him. But I got to, I, see, but I, I got like a, I mean, over the years that I've seen it, like my, my perception of it changed because like in the beginning, you know, here's this white guy and, and uh, the first words that you hear him say that are audible is he's singing Camptown Races, <laughs> Right. So I'm like, okay, so like he's singing a minstrel song. So I'm like, okay, it's it's kind of like uh like it's like the Putney Swope thing. It's kind of a flip. It's like, oh, here's a white guy, here's a black guy in white face. Right. Singing like Camptown races, right? And uh if you notice, he's really like uh obsessed with like black people. You know, he's just not like a racist racist he's a racist no, he's like fixated he's yeah. really like paying attention to it he's aware of it constantly right right and it's kind of and the backdrop is kind of like like uh like the family they're just uh they're uh boomer like late boomer kind of hell of suburbia you know there's a wife who hates her life hates her marriage her name's Althea, by the way. How many white people are named Althea? I know. And she's also very fixated on the protests. Yeah. Of the time. Exactly. This is my point. And then you got like the kids and they're just like, they're just, they're just mesmerized by like television. They don't care. Right. And then when they find out he's black, the kids don't even care. Right. I don't know. They have sort of very simple, innocent questions about what's happening. Exactly. So when the transformation happens, man, now I'm, you know, I'm taking liberties with this interpretation. So you can smack me down because you guys, <laughs> right? But when the, the when the transformation happens, he is like, this is a bad dream. Like the whole thing is like, this is a bad dream, and he's waiting to wake up from this bad dream. It doesn't happen, and you know, and there's the comedy and blah blah blah. But the first thing I notice is as soon as the white face comes off. He looks so much better black. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, okay, so there's a message right there that like black face is some stupid looking shit. Like it, it doesn't even look like. Yeah. It's just ridiculous, you know, on its face. And so like there's a good point there. 
whatever. He goes through the transformation, blah, blah, blah. He loses his job. He starts to slowly accept that he's black. But when that happens, he you can see he's a little bit more comfortable in his skin. And he's cooler. He can actually have conversations with people without like, yes. insulting them and everything. Yeah. And also he doesn't lose his job. He gets relegated to right. the urban market. And he becomes a better salesman while he's doing it. Because he's looking out for people. Well, and before he just didn't seem like a good salesman. He just seemed, you know, whatever. He seemed obnoxious. Yeah. Right. And there's that scene where the music's playing, you know, uh, Van Peebles like writes his own music. You know, it's it's not Mingus, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, like, uh, and he's walking down like the street. And like you're saying, there's kind of like that montage and everything. And you could see like his body change. Now he's walking a little blacker. And he's actually social. He's hanging out at a club and blah, blah, blah. And then I've come to, I've come to interpret that whole thing was that he was always black. Hmm. He was always black. And that vision, and his wife might have been black too. Who knows? Because the kids didn't really say anything when they saw him as a black person. Whatever. Okay, this, I'm, this, I'm pushing it here. You, like I said, you can hit the pause button. I'm with you. And the nightmare was him trying to be white. That was the nightmare. Mm. Well, I like that interpretation. And his wife is still stuck in it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. She goes to Cleveland, right? No, Indianapolis. Cleveland. She goes to Indianapolis. Cleveland. Indianapolis. Indianapolis to the sister's house. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but there is the thing about what's her middle name, and he says Jemima. Jemima, and she says it's not. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of like weird, there's a lot of things in there that are kind of ramshackle uh-huh. that kind of threw me, but there's also big chunks of that movie where it's really deep. There's some shit in there. She talks about at the beginning when he's quote unquote white. It's Wednesday. No, it's not. It's Tuesday. Let's pretend it's Wednesday. And then when he's black, he says it's Wednesday. And she's like, no. Yeah. No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. And then then she's on board, like all except for the physical intimacy, the sex, she's on board with trying to help him up to a point. And then her sort of true colors rise to the surface and she runs to Indianapolis. The other scene that really stayed with me was when he's now black and he's in the bar and he's hanging out he's met people he's singing the song and then two white cops come in and they rouse two guys right put him up against the wall pat him down don't have anything on him and they walk out but the look on his face the tone of the bar it all speaks volumes and it it expresses a day in day out reality with one scene with little or no dialogue there's a there's a scene in there where he walks into the office and everybody in the camera and everybody like stops what they're doing and looks at him. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, that's that, that, that's something a black director would have, you know, stuck in there. And, you know, I, some people wouldn't. Catch that. And also his his uh, affair with the Swedish or Norwegian woman in his office. Okay. You know, he goes to right. her and and it's just because his wife won't sleep with him, but then it quickly. 
Yeah. The, the the layers get peeled off where she's sort of fetishizing fetishizing him as a black man. It doesn't really. It's like a re- weird reverse of racism. This idolatry is kind of like the flip side of of the racism. I got a flip side on that too, though, man. Because when I was a kid, I didn't see that scene. I I didn't see that till I was right. It, it would have been cut out. And uh, it it's weird because like she's scandinavian right and like uh you know there's just there's just a myth about like the scandinavian woman you know and maybe in 1952 they might have been like sexually more liberated but like man have you been to like sweden james like no. it ain't like that man not now not in the 90s it wasn't <laughs> They just like, I'm like, like, yo, can we get back to Berlin? You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> they're not like that. So, so like the vibe that I caught from that was, even in that, even in that montage, you're seeing like she was being fetishized in her own way, and and then that was kind of translated to like her relationship with. Uh, with uh gerber is that, is that a J- jeff gerber right and it was just i think it was like this weird like dysfunctional loop of how people perceive each other yeah i agree with that yeah yeah just like because the blonde scandinavian maybe like i said in eisenhower leave it to beaver america was just like whoa you know but in yeah the- somewhere in there yeah. in that in that 50s there was a some sort of scandinavian movie that was I think considered pornographic, which was called I am curious yellow, which I think. How do you know this James? Cause I read, I read things guys. He doesn't read. I read a lot of things. I thought it was the thousand foot woman that, that, that the horror, horror movie. Wasn't she supposed to be Scandinavian? I don't know. I'm just making that up, man. I'm just yeah. I mean, know. it's a common trope. No, also Ursula Andress is also uh Swedish. And she was huge at that time, right? You have, she's the bond woman. She's the first bond woman. Dr. No. You know who's a Swede? Is uh, Anne Margaret. Oh. Constantly sexualizing those Swedes. But, man, in that case, they got it right, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I, had, I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I had seen some of Godfrey Cambridge's stand up. And I mostly knew him from Cotton Comes to Harlem. Yeah. Friday Foster. So I. What's that? Friday Foster. Oh, he's in that too? Man. He we'll almost, have to have you be almost our, our, Pam steals Gre- the movie. our Pam Greer expert. Yeah. Almost <laughs> steals the movie. <laughs> I pulled up clips of him doing stand-up, and Jess and I watched him, and he's really funny. And he'd made a bunch of movies. He died young from a heart attack. And Jess was saying, you know, why, why wasn't he more popular as a stand-up and you see it right away on one of these clips from the Hollywood Palace. You know, why him, why why not him instead of say Bill Cosby? Well, Bill Cosby's stand up was very literally family oriented, about his brother, about, you know, very innocent things. Yeah. And Godfrey Cambridge starts out by saying, you know, I don't hate TV. I like TV, except for this one commercial, the white knight, where he comes around and everything he touches turns to white. Please don't let that happen to me. I don't want to have to spend all my time feeling guilty. 
Yeah. Oh, and I'm like, oh, like that's a joke that's like poking at a lot of things at yeah. once that is too loaded to make people really comfortable. Yeah. And yeah. so he was at the forefront of that, of like pushing at this issue in a way that wasn't like terrifying, but also wasn't conceding anything. Yeah. But you know, that generation of actors, and you know, like, like, cause he was a Broadway actor, you know? I didn't know that. Yeah. He was a Broadway actor. And, uh, like that generation of like black actors, they came through like the black arts movement. Mm-hmm. And so like, they were coming with a whole different vibe and they were trained, they were classically trained. And then, you know, and, uh, if you look at that movie, if you look at Watermelon Man closely, there's a scene where like the neighborhood, uh, like white guys come and they like buy them out. Yeah. Right? But that scene is taken almost directly from Raisin in the Sun, uh, Lorraine Hansberry. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much the same thing happens. It's just much more comedic in Watermelon yeah, Man. Exactly. And it's played bigger. I mean, like all the guys, all the white dudes are like they give you like, which I enjoyed uh, that Van Peoples kind of gives you the um, array of different white racist men that are your neighbors. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. In, in in Raising the Sun, it's it's just one person representing, yes. Yes. representing a bunch of people. Yes. You know. So the famous Sidney Poitier version, not the Puff Daddy version. Well, no. No one no one even what is that? That's just trash. But go on. That's trash. I was gonna say though, just interjecting about the Swedes just quickly, and Sammy Davis Jr.'s wife was also Swedish. Yep. And that's how he that's why he didn't go to the uh inauguration. Yep. Yep. That's right. Anita Ekberg, another Swede, famous Swede or Norwegian or Scandinavian. Well, you know, like the blonde was like the trophy wife, right? Yeah, and but it's like, like heightened. Was like the the Swede was like the yeah beyond the trophy. That's right. right. That it's like the like, top. It's the top model. Right. It's like Linda Evangelista of that time period. <laughs> right. Ishmael Reed used to say like. Like when he would talk about uh, Hitler, and he said, like every time Hitler would talk about like uh, these Germans as a master race, there would be like Norwegians like saying, "What are you talking about?" You know, like, like, yeah, like, like, like you guys don't look like us. Like, what? Are you yeah, you, about? yeah. And also, those traits are all the submissive traits. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Blonde hair, blue eyes; those are submissive traits. Mm-hmm. Every beetle um, married a blonde. Blue eyed, first wife. Hmm. Check it out. And then they all switched. Yeah, right. Ringo divorced and married Barbara Bach. John married Yoko. Right. All stayed with Linda. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Everybody. Well, I mean, when you're that good on the keys, how can you? <laughs> how can you let her go? Yeah. <laughs> Another thing about Watermelon Man too is that you see that there was a. Uh, there was like this fascination with like physicality. Like this guy was obsessed with working out. Yes. yes. And running. racing the bus yep. until it had to get on the freeway and exactly. his weird and boxing rituals and it, the notes that he left for himself to push himself. Like the stuff on the bag, you know, like, like the boxing bag would say like kill and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he would say, you're, you're a credit to your race and all yeah. those type of things. But that physicality, even after he 
made the transitions. And now he's kind of like a radical, you know? Yes. Still like this physical. And like a lot of that goes back to slavery. Like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, there was this thing of taking like black people, mainly men, and, and saying, well, whatever, their heads are shaped this way, or mm-hmm. their lips are shaped yeah, yeah. this way. So therefore, they're not, they're not set up to operate in society a certain way. That's where like all that pre-eugenics movement stuff happened and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And one of the things they used to really concentrate on was their physicality. And they would say, well, look how physical these cats are. They're made to do these kind of menial jobs like right. this. And so you kind of see that in there too, just like this fascination with just like working out. And it didn't look like he worked out at all. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, Bless but yet he's winning that race against the bus. I mean, look at that bus. It had like it had like one foot uh, diameter wheels, you know. And the bus yeah. has to keep stopping. I mean, right. But I did I like it. When, I, was, I, sorry, when he was white, everybody hated him. Yes. They hated him. Like, he was just a shitty person. Yeah, but then when he was black and racing the bus and the cops stop him for just running, being a black man running, right? the people on the bus come to his defense. No, the bus driver no, no. comes to his defense. The bus driver. <laughs> the black bus driver comes to no, his no, defense. No, no, not black. Spanish. Is he Spanish? He, he says that. He says, I'm not black, I'm Spanish. Oh, no, yeah, that's what he says. Yeah. Uh, not the bus driver. I'm sorry. That's like the Richard Pryor bit in Bingo Long and the Traveling All-Stars. Mm-hmm where he's trying to break the color line by insisting to everybody he's Cuban and starts putting on an accent. Yeah, yeah. That was common for a long time. You know, Castro used to do that. Like, uh, what's the name of that? Or There was an organ player who was black and he used to wear a turban and say he was Indian. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Is it Lonnie Liston Smith? No, 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 no. Lonnie, Lonnie got the vibe from this guy, man. Oh, man. What's his name? It's 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 something like the great Babu or some shit. <laughs> you know? Something just, very Indian like that. Right. But you know, Babs Gonzalez did that too. I didn't know that. Babs Gonzalez. His name ain't Gonzalez, man. Come on, man. He's from Newark. <laughs> you can be Spanish and from Newark. Yeah, you can be Spanish from Newark. <laughs> man. Newark is Portuguese, man. But he uh he was uh him and I Quebec kind of came up together and and uh, he got out of the draft and he ended up moving to L.A. And he pretended that he he used to wear turbans and act like he was Indian so he could stay in good hotels and things like that. He ended up being Errol Flynn's uh, a ballet. I remember seeing Putney Swope in college. You brought it to our attention and you and a couple of other friends of ours in college, we all watched it. And you and me and our other roommate and friend Warren probably watched it three or four times. but. Prior to that, what was your experience with watching that, seeing that movie? Yeah, I, I I was told about it from some older guys that I knew, much older. They might have been ten or twelve years older than me, and uh, and they all talked about the movie kind of like an experience. So you how you know how like all the white guys would be into like a Rocky Horror Picture Show, or going to see the midnight showing of Heavy Metal, the animated, or The Wall. You <laughs> yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 you know, they're like, no, man, you got to see Putney. Like, that was like the experience. Like, it was almost not 
really about the movie, but you know, about going to the movie theaters. Like, uh, did you ever see Bruce Lee movies, James, man? Like in the movie theater? No, not in the theaters. Oh, man. So you never saw them. <laughs> not really, no. no I mean, because the Bruce Lee movie, they're, Bruce Lee movies, they'd always show them in three movies at a time. And in between each movie, like the crowd would get more and more violent. You know? <laughs> and cats would show up in like their kung fu suits and they would oh, be no. fighting and riding skateboards. And, the, and so you always knew to leave halfway through the last movie right so well like, this is the 42nd street experience of seeing bruce lee movies right man that was hacking sack new jersey man <laughs> man so like putney they said for like guys that were older than us they said it was just kind of like the same thing it was just like yeah you go to the movies to enjoy just like the madcap vibe so that's how i'd heard about it so i didn't really see it like i said until maybe a couple of years before I hipped you guys to it. So I'm going to say I'm dating myself. Uh, I'm going to say I saw it like in the mid eighties, something like that. Yeah. And it's like watermelon, man. It's a bit of a ramshackle movie where it doesn't, it's not as like airtight a script and editing job as uh, other movies might be. No, <laughs> a couple of things you know i remembered in the opening scene there's a lot of you know vicious banter between all the salesmen then the boss walks in and immediately fires a guy and yeah. then collapses on the table and that one older salesman keeps saying how many syllables mario right how many so that made me laugh because we obsessed over that because it was so absurd but there's a couple of really funny jokes. And one of them, I remember Antonio Fargus is talking to Putney Swope and he's, and Putney says, no more phones. We're not getting on the phone calls anymore. And Antonio Fargus says, yeah, man, that's cool because all we need is the drum. And he said, or no, it's one of the other guys it's says, the all we guy. need is the, the other drum. Guy the other guy says, all we need is the drum. And he says, that's ridiculous. You're fired. Antonio Fargus comes in a half second later and goes, you right. fired so-and-so? And he goes, yeah, how'd you know? And he goes, the drum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some really good jokes in there. Okay, man, I got it. It's also really messy. I got a vibe on it. Here's my, here's my take on Putney. And it's a little bit got like a... a, a, a a watermelon man vibe. So, first of all, they're just high the entire fucking movie. Right? Yes. Like, like it's 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 so it's. I think that was the appeal for like in the seventies, of just like, like the people on screen are higher than the people who are watching the damn movie, <laughs> right? And, and I remember, the first time I saw it, thinking it's kind of got like a Tio Macero edit where it's just like this blunt cut and it's just like it's yes. old cat skill humor and then it cuts to like black humor right and but over the years what i've come to realize it's kind of kind of it's almost like it's almost like the white guy in uh watermelon man because or camp town races in the sense of the humor is still cat skills humor it's you can tell you know like the 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 banter it's just done with like a black dialect so you can tell like the vibe there it might not have been much of a script but they're kind of like 
the pacing is like the Catskills Jewish kind of like Mel Brooks kind of humor. And it's the madcapness, because black humor isn't like that. Like Cotton Comes to Harlem's not like that or something right. like that. But when they let the microphone loose on Antonio Fargus, that's a whole different thing. He's a whole different character in that entire movie. And the fact that like Putney's voice is done by Downey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that tells you something right there. So that that's that's the thing. It's like, oh, this is still this is still like that real funny, you know, you know, like when it was uh it's a mad mad world. When did that come out, James? Oh, I, that must have been I want to say 65 or 63. Guy knows everything. Jesus. Christ. I mean, I don't know that that's right. I can look it up on yeah. uh IMDb. But that's that's the point I'm t- making. When you see that like it's a mad mad world and it's just like blah, 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 or, or or uh or uh, what's up, Doc, or something like that, where everything's kind of coming at you. Like, at a, I feel that's the thing about Putney. It's yeah. not that Richard Pryor kind of humor. Not yet. Maybe that's not really there yet, like that. It's just yeah. when you see Antonio Fargus. There's one scene where Antonio Fargus is, like, dressing down Putney. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's improvised, and, I'm sure. Oh, man. And it's, it's, and it's like, man... He, he steals that fucking movie. The other guy, there's like Putney. The dude I'm, with the shades also stands yeah, out. Yeah, like the junkie talk. Like the guy who sounds like a junkie when he's talking. Like, I think like that's like really authentic, like like real, like the real thing. Whereas yeah, everybody I, else, you know, whatever. You know. Yeah, that movie feels like there were parts where Downey had a script and he had scene ideas, but maybe they weren't working or he didn't like them or there were placeholders. And he said, just improvise around this idea. And so that's why I think it, it doesn't have a continuity to it that it would be if it were more tightly scripted. But yeah, Antonio Fargus, I really liked in, in the movie. He just inhabits that role. Like he, ha- you know, I, mean, I think he's the chic. Is that the name, right? Like he, yep. like he inhabits that role. Like, and everybody else is kind of like, uh, you know, like, like some of the, like the, the, the dialogue, like black people just, particularly at that point, would never talk that way. Like that's, and that's kind of the funny thing about it. You're just like, what the hell is going on, man? There's a white hipster talk that even the septuagenarian sold the salesmen use. Exactly. Exactly. And I also remembered the fake commercial with the the pimple cream where the the black kid sings we met at the yale oh, howard right. game right and then the, they go on about he dry humped me under the bleachers and they do a dance did you check that dance out yes they do a little soft shoe together mm-hmm. so that <laughs> that cracked me up i remembered laughing at that when we first saw it and laughing at, at that again and it seems to be it feels like that early, that late sixties, early seventies satire, the satirical approach to racism, which is if we just shine a bright enough light on this, it's funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's not really taken into consideration. Like what else do we want to say other than pointing out how messed up this is? I guess I, I, uh, let me watch it again, Matt. Cause I never thought that they even thought about racism. 
I thought, or like, or or making some kind of social contact, uh, social commentary. I think they were just being silly, you know. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it also starts with, you know, that's that subversive notion of we have to vote on a new CEO of this ad agency. That's true. Okay. Everybody I, I, votes for Putney because they think no one else would ever vote for Putney right. as a way of like, all I need is two people to vote for me. And so it's that moment of that upheaval. And then he immediately says, I'm not going to just be a figurehead. We're going to do this my way. Yeah. And that's, and I don't think that they hit that, particular game clearly enough and hard enough that he's going to do these ads that are truly revolutionary so that when he does the turn and he starts taking the money from corporations that you see that he is, you know, sold out, none of that really like holds up and it's just kind of a, a mishmash of things. I mean, one thing they got right with on the, on the black end was the uh, get paid in cash. <laughs> <laughs> They got that right, bro. That was, like, that was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, bring briefcases full of cash. <laughs> or or uh or the or the uh or the armchair revolutionaries. Like Yeah. Maybe they're kind of pointing out that that was, you know, it was just like a passing phase or people weren't really whatever. Not uh, committed to it fully, yeah. Yeah. My favorite I, I like the Borman 6 girl. Just the whole idea of the Borman 6 girl's got to have soul. Yeah, I think that's funny. It's a funny bit. It was it was funnier than the commercial. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, that was that was my you know that used to be a phrase like you'd see something that somebody who was or whatever who was very attractive and you'd be like, uh, Borman Six, you know. (laughs) 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 Got to have soul. Yeah, it seems like a movie chocked full of really good ideas and a strong idea and concept for what the movie should be about, but the execution didn't really land. Yeah. I think it was, they were just high. They were just, it was, you know, they were just high. It was like, you know, like how did he, how did somebody get away with that? You know? Yeah, exactly. That was kind of like, also for Jess, she was really struggling to get through it. I'll just say, you know, I enjoyed Watermelon Man. I think it is cinematically messy, but at the end of it, he um, he's so charismatic, and like you said, I, him being a such a great actor, I, there, I'm I'm in it. You know, I start caring about him, and I want to know where the story goes. And I feel like with Putney Swope, within I don't even know after the boardroom, I was like, oh, okay, I get the setup, and then for them not to follow through on any of it. Like any of it. It's like he, so where is he revolutionary? Oh, he's not. Like he, all the ads are not good. Um, I like she's got, she's got to have soul. I hated the, it was, and then it just turned very, for me, not just for me, I think any woman watching it, the misogyny is out of control. The fact that Vargas is hooking up with that woman and then she immediately goes and sleeps with Putney because that's what women do. And then she demands he marries her, but then she kind of has the ideas what's happening. And then that commercial where just boobs are everywhere. I don't even know what they're selling. And then at the no. end, then it turns into a white man that comes in. I was like, if this is a black agency, why is the white man banging these girls at the, what's happening? 
I literally was like, I hope this movie ends soon. It could not have ended <laughs> faster for me. And I agree with you. I think you have to be balls high to enjoy any of that movie because I was like, only a white straight man could get this movie made. This is a pile of trash. Well, Jessica, <laughs> let me point this out. You've got way too much class for Jane. You know? <laughs> like, like, our shit is guttural. But like, <laughs> I mean, I heard stories that Downey, like one of the reasons why Robert Downey Jr. had like such a rough first half of his life is because his father was like a freewheeling hipster hippie post drugs like i think that's and i think that's dripping from that movie you, yeah you, you, i you agree with see you. that and uh i remember when james and i saw this i didn't know anything about improvisers or any of that what you guys are like masters of i didn't know any of that stuff but i remember telling james I'm like, James, there's no way there's a script in this movie. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I was like, there's no way. I was like, man, they just press play and they just let these guys go. You know, I remember saying that. So there's that. I think uh, another thing about that movie is, like you were saying, like it doesn't really tie up any loose ends. Like when it ends, you're just like, well, what the, ha what the hell happened? You yeah. Know? You know, you're like, okay, like, so Putney's not a revolutionary. Right. He's not going to make any changes. Uh, He's doling out the money, but then they throw a Molotov, Vargas throws a Molotov cocktail and blows up the money or a bomb, whatever. It blows up all the money. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, and then it, and then there's like, and then that's, it ends and you're like, what happened? You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and so I think that's just indicative of just like. Maybe there was kind of like a verite thing happening at that time, like like these like like these guys were just kind of like filming and trying, and then they thought that they could fix it in the editing or something. No, they were just you high. Know? But you said the first time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's ultimately it because you know there's there's some I again I I, I hold to this that there are some really good satirical kernels of an idea. It's. It's a it's strange and un, unexpected that the president is being played by a little person. And I think the first time we see him, he simply has someone <laughs> sitting next to him telling him joke after joke after joke while he's carrying business. There's something satirical in that, that he's got a person who says a man walks up to a farmhouse. And the farmer says this and he's on the phone doing, you know, there's something about what that dynamic is. You don't think and that's the, happening now? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Is that they, he was ahead of his time in that idea, but the execution of it was flawed. And the the pseudo Kissinger figure is also a great idea and maybe one of the first parodies of Kissinger. Um, but again, not executed with any sort of consistency. So it doesn't no. you don't understand what it's supposed to be. Well, this is my person. This is what I think. This was, you know, like I said, it was a white guy who made the movie. And I think that was a white guy's perception of what a black person thought the man would be yes like, the man you know what i mean and so like no like when, whenever you thought about like the man it wasn't like you know it wasn't like this little guy and his wife and 
the Wizard of Oz or something like that or something, you know, like it was, it's always like some conspiratorial guy behind the scenes or something like that. It's not that. So. There was also another funny idea with the photographer who comes in and shows his portfolio. And the first time he shows it, he's like this and that. And he goes, great. You're hired. I need you for a shoot. And he says, I won't do it for less than 9,000. And he says, 3,500. And he says something else. And he drops it down until he finally says, I'll work for free. I need the money. And he says, you're fired. <laughs> like, that's a funny progression. You know what that reminds me of, James? What was that? Being a jazz musician, bro. <laughs> I'll play at your restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I to won't the wash the dishes. Food. Right, exactly. Well, I think the funny part of that joke actually is when I think it's a hard cut to the photographer selling himself to the president. Yes. And he quotes the same joke. And then he starts saying, I did this for Kennedy. I did this for uh, Johnson. I was like, that's a funny joke. That's the one time I said, you know, it's a good joke when you just say out loud. That's a funny joke. Yeah. That's how good that movie was. Yeah. You're not actually laughing. You're just commenting and identifying. <laughs> That's a funny joke. Uh, too much class. Too much class. <laughs> <laughs> but so let me throw this question out. Is so the kernel of the idea, and again, I know I'm belaboring this, this concept, but is the kernel of the idea of Putney Swope, that germ of an idea, is that something that could be remade today and ha be successful if, somebody else sort of took it and actually made a script out of it? Uh, or is the time passed and it, need, I mean, it would I, need to be I, something completely I, different? I tend not to watch remakes, so I wouldn't, I don't know how successful a lot of them are. I don't know. Uh, but I think that's a period piece, man. I think it's a period piece of like post, uh, Woodstock, New York, uh, you know, like this weird phase. I mean, in the very beginning, if you look closely, they're building the World Trade Center. Yeah. You know, and yes. it's like, so like, I think it's, it, I think it's just like a period piece. Like, you it's know, its that, own little weird art statement kind of the equivalent of a black box improv show that's not wholly successful but we've got it on film yeah yeah I, it, it's it's it, i think it i think it's funny in in the sense of 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 like the the oddity of it and like he got away with this like really this is a movie you know what i mean and like and it, like you're saying like it, it keeps going and you're like well where is this gonna go you know, and it's like, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think like Putney's wife, like she's like, uh, she's like a, she's almost like a slave driver with the, uh, like they have like an Eastern European, am I right? Yeah. It's like an Eastern European, like, uh, like yeah, maid, maid that she screams at. Right. And it, I'm like, well, what does that, I'm like, what does this mean? Like, I, I'm trying to like put it together. And I think, I think they were just making that shit up on the fly. And I think that's kind of the, the appeal of it. I mean, but to I make guess... to remake it for for Jess, the word appeal is in heavy quotes. Heavy quotes. <laughs> heavy quotes. Oh boy, Jess, how did you get stuck with James? <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> like man, that, 
talking about massaging each chest, like uh oh yeah when he goes to the office like like he's like grabbing ass and everything oh, yeah. he like, calls them all sluts go make some yeah. honest money on the street but see yeah. this is the problem this is the right. difference is godfrey cambridge is so funny that you laugh right. he like actually sells those jokes unlike right. Our poor Putney Swope. Where am I? Oh, God. Okay. And also no. the point of it is that he is a reprehensible person. And this is evidence of that. Whereas sure. in Putney, they're just stoned and they're like, let's get some women to jump on this trampoline. Yeah, it's gross. Wearing let's gauze. Get some titties in our face. Right. And we'll do close-ups on this assortment of, you know, this racial assortment of women jumping on a inflated Right, trampoline or whatever. It is. And 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 the, the thing about watermelon, man, there was a clear message. Like the message is like very clear, and there's an arc to it. So like when at the end yes. of the movie, when he starts to accept that he's black and he kind of likes it, yeah, you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. he, he kind of yeah. likes it, and he becomes like a regular person. He just comes like, oh, this is these are the skills that I need to have in order to live as a black man in this society and uh where did that take place did it, it, it i thought it was san francisco the first time i saw it they where shot it in la i recognize some spots oh, okay all right um there's one scene where they're shooting and you can see the street oh, sign yeah. and it's cl- and it's clearly an la intersection when he okay. goes to the diner when he gets his health drink in the morning yeah oh now that's another one Right, I like that scene. I want to talk about that That's scene. That's Mantan Moreland. Yes, and uh, at my job, we were having a conversation about like those guys. Now, that whole generation of actors—Mantan Moreland, Step and Fetch it, uh, Rochester—I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, uh, there's him, Slappy White. Uh, I'm, I'm not really going to put her in this category but i'm just going to use her name uh uh mom's mabley uh you know and uh what's her name from gone with the wind hattie mcdaniel hattie mcdaniel like these were like funny people or good actors and actresses and they had like fuck fucked up roles louis armstrong also fucked up yeah that's right and and a lot of those, a lot of that comedy came out of like black humor and it was kind of set up for black people to see. It became a problem when white people started watching it. So like, like the famous stories like Hattie McDaniel, like after she won her Oscar, she started getting hate mail from black people mm. because they were like, oh, you guys are setting a bad example. It's, it, it really, you know, the NAACP, like a lot of them were like, and so for a good 10 or 15 years, those cats stopped working. They stopped working. And so right like in the seventies, early seventies, they started to make a little bit of a comeback, almost like we're gonna honor these cats before they pass away. Step and fetch it, by the way, uh, joined the Nation of Islam. Like, yeah, like he was tight with like Malcolm X or Muhammad Ali. Wow. Yeah. And so when I saw Man- when I saw Mantan Moreland in there, uh, after I learned all this stuff, I was like, oh, this is a whole different dynamic that he's there. Because you see that his his uh 
his demeanor changes when yes. when 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 Gerber comes in and he's black. Yeah. Yes. You know, then it's a whole different and and it's a whole different. He's like, man, it's basically like, man, don't blow my cover. Like that's kind of the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. A facade comes down. Yeah. He's like, man, don't blow my cover. So there's like that vibe. Yeah. And uh, and also I like the vibe that's kind of like you can wait a minute, like stop bossing me around. Exactly. Exactly. And then you know the boss comes over, the mask goes right back on. And he's yep. just like, yeah, you know, I love you. You, you're, I'm, I'm all for it. And blah blah, you know, yep. and and you know. Meanwhile, he almost got arrested for running. Yes. Like, you know, like, black guys know, like, if you're going to run, you, you, you know, just out of the blue, you are going to be looked at differently than a white guy running. And so Gerber didn't know that. Right. He didn't, he didn't know that. I agree with all of this. And I think that is because I didn't recognize um, – What's his name again? Mantan Morland. Morland. Yeah. I didn't recognize him. James pointed him out because I thought this guy is really funny. Like I thought he was great in both scenes. Like, right. He's just re- he's he just the comedy, his rhythm. He's just really funny. And when he said that, I'm like, well, of course he is. He's done. I mean, he's been right performing forever. Exactly. He knows exactly what he's doing. So I'm glad that they brought them back in the 70s because it's also yeah. like they're also a victim of their time. Like they have to work. These are the sure. roles they were given. I mean, exactly. Exactly. Moms Mabley made a movie towards the end of her life called Amazing Grace. And it's and it's it's not a good movie at all, but you got to see it anyway, because it's not okay. right. And uh, and and the premise is that she's kind of like this older lady in Baltimore and, and, and like these, and, and uh, the, the developers or the, or, or like the, 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 the right wing or the white guys are, they're propping up this, they're propping up this one black guy to run for office. And so like her job is try to like get this guy to be cool again, you know, like that kind of vibe. So like, uh, but in that movie, she brings back all of those actors. They they all either make cameos or something like that. And I think she died like right after that movie was made. It's not really great, but it, it's that same idea of like people are dying, yeah. and then we're going to let's recognize them before they're checking out. Like, yeah, that was kind of the vibe. Yeah. And like you, know? you said, they're great talent that was just wasted because white people couldn't, you know, were just yeah, racist and couldn't write anything that was like an actual part. They couldn't see him. They couldn't see him any other way. Exactly. Right. And so one of the things that they had to do was try to like use what little artistry that was yes. available to them to like outshine those roles and something like that. And hope that the black audiences that saw that it was accepted that they were going to get these bad roles. It, you know, it wasn't, you know, like somebody, that's why Sidney Poitier, you know, I think that was kind of the vibe in Putney, uh, Putney. Where like when Putney sleeps with his wife for yes. the first time, <laughs> tears down the city, tears down the city, yep. thing. Yeah, you know, like those guys. That's a little later. That's a whole different thing. Completely. That racism that those actors endured in the '30s, '40s, and even into the to the '50s. It speaks to. Is it the scene on radio podcast where they talk about? the dehumanization had to occur in order for slavery to happen. It didn't come after. Yeah. And so, 
as the white power structure in the movie industry, they could not allow them to have a spotlight that showed their talents for what they were. They had to, they had to maintain this belief right. by relegating them to the sidelines yeah, in yeah. these demeaning roles. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's that debate is, it doesn't feel like much of a debate anymore when people are saying, you know, you encounter this as being an employee at the Louis Armstrong house where people will, I I'm sure raise this issue of, well, what was all of that smiling and all of that stuff that Louis Armstrong was doing? And it's like, well, part of that is, is his personality. Part of that is necessity. That part of that is survival. Sure. But with, within that, he spoke out about the segregation of the, the schools in um, little rock, little rock. You know, he did take his opportunities to speak out, but it's like, what are you going to do when the weight of the whole world is on your neck? You think you're going to become a revolutionary? Yeah. Try it. See what happens. Yeah. Like, it's not going to end well. And, 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 you know, and when you're a performer and not a politician, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's, it's, you know, I mean, if, if it can happen to the Dixie Chicks. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly right. You're right. You know, women. Happen, you know, what well, I'm saying? they're women. Like, yeah, if it was three white dudes, it'd be even more of a disbelief. But yeah, yeah go that's on. true. Okay, that's, I, but I, I hear you. I hear you. But but when you're at a poor and and it, that stay your lane thing is like a huge yes, and some people adhere to it, and other people don't do it less. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, very few people don't. I think, but I think people do it to a lesser degree. You know, you know, like James Brown, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, right? Yeah. But man, but he supported Nixon. Right. People are complicated. Right. Yeah. Sammy Davis Jr. supported Nixon. He supported Nixon, right? That's true. And Nixon got the most black vote out of any Republican. Crazy. That's nuts. Like a huge amount, like 16% or something like that. So, yeah, it's. I think it's, it, I, I think like... One of the things that Watermelon Man, it touches a lot on a lot of those issues is because it shows you like this weird kind of duality between like racism and just like being an asshole. Yes. And how like, you know, like, oh, well, these guys, like when the people come to his house to uh, to buy him out, to buy out the, the property, like they're racist, but they're not assholes. You know what I mean? Like the way it's portrayed. It's like they're, they're being they're, almost they're the hyper polite. Yeah. They're the rational races, right? And then when the wife who, you know, like starts off, you think, oh, she is all about racial justice. Boom, boom. Yeah, but, surprise. She's mad because he gouged him for more money. Yeah. And right. he's like, whatever that 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 end sum was, $100,000 in 1969, 1970. I mean, he's right. That's a huge fortune. And if you're going to, you know, if you're going to come in my house and tell me I got to leave because now I woke up and I'm black and not white, like... Yeah, take him for everything you can. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, that's, you know, that's a big thing because, like, you know, black women, they know this distinctly, but, like, if a white woman has a choice between woman and white, a lot of them will pick white. Of course. Because As we saw in 2016. Ex exactly. Oh, so, yeah. like, that's kind of like the vibe. And so you, you see that in that scene. And it's really quick. It's really quick. It doesn't happen. You're just like, oh, she left. 
And it's kind of under the guise of like, it's best for the kids or I can't really handle this. It's all BS, but it's great. I wouldn't, it was very powerful. Right. Check out his crib. Like, like he's just got like a little apartment, man. Like, like, and you're like, whoa. And he's got his own, he opens his own business. And when he was still employed with the insurance company, he, he's trying, they're like, oh, this is an untapped market. Like, and I'm like, dude, man, do you know what it's like trying to sell life insurance to a black person? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> like, like, like do you, do you know how hard that is to do? You know, like, I'm going to pay money to put myself in the ground. Get out of here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, but he comes back and he's like, man, these are good people. These are hardworking people. Mm-hmm. You know, he wouldn't have said that earlier on in the movie. No, no, he would have been just full of preconceived ideas and exactly. bad jokes that were kind of. It, it, again, exactly. in this time period, I think the way that, and his character is not a good intentioned, well-intentioned person, but the way that a lot of even well-intentioned people tried to address racism was a little bit that Rat Pack thing of let's make jokes about it to yeah. underscore how absurd it is, which that has, you know, outlived its welcome by this point. Dude, that's the most annoying shit in the planet, man. It's the most annoying shit in the planet. Yeah. It, it really is. Like, yeah. You're like, yeah, because it's, it's like erasure of what was really happening so that that, so the white person can feel comfortable. It's like, man, I don't want to make you feel comfortable. And like, you shouldn't be laughing at it. And you should you know? be laughing at it. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. I also want to know if there is a term for there was one person when we were in college who was a white keyboard player. And when he was around a group of predominantly black fellow students, he would adopt mannerisms. And it always felt patronizing to me. And I just had never encountered anybody like that. And as soon as I saw that, I just thought, oh, I'm going to run as far away from that behavior as possible. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. whoa, I'm going to be really careful to not fall into that because it just, and I wonder if there's a term for it. You know, there's like, what is that when white people go too far? Oh, that's, well, that's, that's, I don't know. Uncle Jim? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... <laughs> uh, just being an asshole? Don't do just it. Just being an asshole. But the funny thing is, whoever that was, he wasn't fooling anybody but himself. Of course. You know, that's, I mean, I think that's the, I think that's the, that's the, uh, the message of when you see that, it's like, you know, hey man, like whenever you see like a, a black comedian and whenever they do a white person's voice, it's almost like they have to do the Richard Pryor version of the white person's voice, right? Yeah. And hey, man, whatever, you know what I mean? And it's funny when Richard Pryor did it. It's not funny when Chris Tucker does it, right? But the thing is, when black people hear that, they know that white people do not sound that way. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's, a, it's yeah. a caricature of a caricature. They know that. If they don't know that, then I don't know who that soul brother is, man. Just, I'm, <laughs> but I'm saying they know that, right? They understand the caricature. But when it comes to you from the other side, you're just like, yo, man, like, 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 so I'm not even a person. 
you know, like I'm a, you know, like when they, when they talk to you that way, you're just like, 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 you know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start telling white people, man, you're articulate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, man. You, you really are. You, wow. How did, how did you, you know, one guy said to me once, he said, he said, man, he said, he said, you're not fucked up, man. What turned you around? I was like, motherfucker, I was never fucked up. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I was never fucked up, you know. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, and again, with with Watermelon Man, there, there are those scenes again, and we touched on this with the wife. Played by Estelle Parsons. Yeah, where, where right. we see her being kind of leaning towards what we would presume is enlightened, but then when the chips are down, she's not that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a blow at like that liberalism that you see. Exactly. You know, kind of blow like, I mean, I wouldn't call her a limousine liberal, maybe like an armchair liberal. Yeah. Is that the right, is that the right word? I would say that. I agree. Yeah. 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 And I also think it's that, like you were saying before, like you're going to choose white over being a woman every time because that's closer to the top of the white supremacy ladder, right? Like you, right. how close you're going to get to that. And that's what you're going to choose. So. It's available. It's, it's available. It's, Take it. It's available. Right. Yeah. You can reach the top of the white supremacy ladder by being on the arm, being a white woman on the arm of a white man rather right. than being an independent white woman. Right. The thing is Gerber, he doesn't, it doesn't surprise him. No. It doesn't like that's how fast his transformation is, and that's why I got to go back to my thesis. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this out, bro. That he <laughs> was always black, and then the, the white part was either him trying to be white, you know, or passing to be white, or trying to live the white dream, which was the nightmare. You know, those two dumbass kids, Aaron Moran. I know. Yeah, right? <laughs> Right. Like them two, you know, like, yo, man, if I had two dumb, if I had two dumb kids like that, shit, I'd be white too. man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, Highland, I like your thesis. I think your thesis is because it is almost like, like you were saying, like he's such a, well, he's a bigot and he's mean and he's obsessed with himself. He's, he's a narcissist and he's a misogynist. Like, all when he's the white man, right? But not the white man, like the like what a white man's supposed to be. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah like a successful, right? Right. In corporate America, white, right? Right. So then when he becomes the black man, his authentic self, if we're going to go with your thesis, like he was always that. He was just hiding that. Right. Because I think he had that. I, I like that thesis because when he sees the doctor and the doctor's like, Oh, I forgot about the doctor. Right. All the jokes about his, the names we right. brought before, like his name is. Well, his name's just what Jeff, right? But then, like you said, like the, the wife's name's Althea. I don't know any white Althea's. And then it was like Althea, Jemima, whatever. And then the kids are named also, right? Like these, if you were going to be, you know, generalizing. I can't even speak. Generalizing. Thank you. Like, right? Black names. Yeah. And they're, he's like, what? No, what? No. And it's like, oh, maybe this is all, like you said, like, wait a minute. This has always been here. This has always <laughs> been the case. Right. And he he and he he lets the he lets it out of the bag when he's like he starts to question his wife's race. Yes. Right? He, he, he's like, wait a minute, your 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 mother was always kind of Chinese looking or something. Yes, right? yes, says, yes, yes, yes. Right? That's right. I forgot that. And so like so like this, so there's this ambiguity thing happening, 
And I think it's not so much that he gives up the idea of like passing for white, because maybe he's black the whole time, like black, black, you know, like, like Godfrey Kanger's black, but like, like, uh, but he's giving up the white ideal. Yes. Like that job. Mm-hmm. And that life and, and, and that house and, the, and that neighborhood. And the Swede and the two dumb kids, you know, like he's giving up that idea. And so as he starts, he's like, oh, maybe I can work for myself and I can work in this community. And like, now that I accept these people as me being one of them and them being me, now I can be cool. Like, like, so now like, like all that pressure of trying to, for a, that, 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 that white goal, you know, like once that's gone, because he no longer had a choice or whatever, then, you know, the transformation can happen, you know. I mean, I, so. I like your thesis. I think you should write it down. I, I, I agree with it. It reminds me of the montage that they do, you know, where he's just walking and they keep cutting to him changing his clothes and changing his style right. until he's you know, wearing uh, like a turtleneck and a really great suit jacket, but he's not trying to do the corporate white America turtleneck. <laughs> You're a man who favors a turtleneck. <laughs> don't, have iron, don't have to iron it. <laughs> don't have to put a tie around it. Hell no. <laughs> when, when the apes take over. I told you that one, James, right? Which one? Oh man! And Planet of the Apes. With each movie, the makeup jobs with the apes get worse and worse. So by the <laughs> end, by the last movie, like their lips are barely moving. Right. Yeah. Also, in that movie, when the apes were taking over, this is what I heard. When that movie came out, I think it was like '75 when it came out. And Compton, when the apes were taking over, like the, the riots in the streets and everything like that, they said that the audiences they were giving standing ovations. Because they saw that, like the system was being taken over. Mm. In the last movie, the apes, they're going to let one human being live so that he can observe that they can run a better society. And it's the soul brother with the turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's you, Highland. That's what I'm saying, man. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Last One to the Party Podcast. You can send us an email to Last One to the Party Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow Jessica online, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. And Elena is E-L-A-I-N-A. Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by me, James Eason. (laughs) 